poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. Today is Tuesday, and Tuesday is for Tactical Tuesday. Me and John are going to be going over some four-bet pots that we recently played in the 1K NL Ignition Streets, and we also have some depth here. John, welcome to Tactical Tuesday once again. How's it going, Brad? It's going quite well. It's going quite well. How are you? Doing pretty good. I got a couple four bet pots queued up today. We do. We do. Deep and uh, some, not just, some not just deep. regular ones. Yeah, deep. We're gonna go deep, not regular old four bets. Uh, do you wanna you wanna start the hand number one that I played about a month ago? And I played it on a pokercoaching.com play and explain live stream as well. Sure. So uh, Brad's hand starts uh, with us at a five-handed table playing 510 no limit cash on ignition. Brad is under the gun, or excuse me, we're five, five-handed. So Brad is in middle position with eight, seven of spades, opens $25. The player in the cutoff, who looks like a reg, uh, three bets to $70. Everybody else folds. Um, the cutoff and Brad are, or I guess we should finish up the action. Brad, four bets to $230. Both Brad and the cutoff started about 145 big blinds effective. Cutoff looks like a reg, but his three-bet sizing was seemed very, very small, even versus a 100 big blind stack. I think versus a two and a half X open, making it 70 is definitely smaller than what I would expect. I'd expect something closer to like 90 or maybe even 100. Not a huge deal. Um, I think the more interesting part of preflop is your decision to four-bet. I actually don't. I actually think that villains three bet sizing is somewhat reasonable at this depth. And because they're in position, I don't think they necessarily need to go super big because they can, they can go smaller here and then they can defend very appropriately versus four bets while retaining position throughout the rest of the hand. And if I call uh, very often facing the small three bet sizing, then basically I'm going to be out of position in a deep sack pot throughout the rest of the hand, which is going to be pretty annoying to navigate. So I actually think villains three bet sizing here is it's reasonable. Um, okay. It's not like, yeah, a, I, don't, I don't think it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely not a, it's not worth nitpicking over the sizing for sure. Yeah. And seven, eight suited is going to be, it's close to the bottom of my MP opening range. It's a hand that, I mean, again, I'm probably defending almost everything except for some of like, offsuit ace jack off type hands i think those hands are going to get folded um, but pretty much defending everything versus the small three bet sizing and need to find some hands to four bet with for you know board coverage um and then also like you know bottom of range type four bet hands 
that can flop pretty well, um, can give me some equity post flop. And like I said, can cover some, some of the lower middling type boards that, you know, we would like to have some good hands on those boards too. So because of all of that, I decided to go ahead and four bet this hand. If Phil, does five bet, which I don't know that they're going to five bet really anything here, even aces and Kings. I think those hands might just flat, but if they do five bet, it's obviously pretty easy to fold a seven and an eight. Yeah. I think that's a really pertinent point. Uh, when it comes to four betting this spot is that you, I wouldn't expect uh, good regs to have uh, much of a five betting range in position, uh, even this deep, or maybe especially this deep. So yeah, you just, you're just going to get to realize at least your equity on the flop extremely frequently when you four bet um, B versus cutoff. And you have to bear in mind too, that like, if you don't think villain has a five bet range, they're going to have aces and Kings and Queens in their range too. So like, that's something just kind of keep in the back of your mind when you, when, you know, you are four betting in a spot like this is that the it's likely they're slow playing some aces and Kings type hands. Yeah. Um, so we four bet and I chose to four bet to 230. I think we probably could have gone a little bit bigger, but you know, being out of position specifically, but I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, it's big enough and the villain opts to defend and we see a flop. Yeah. Um, I think the sizing is perfect for what it's worth. Um, so anyways, we see a flop four, five, six, again, Brad has seven, eight of spades. So we flop the nut straight, pretty good hand to have in a four bet pot. Um, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. There could be some spades on the flop. There aren't any of those, I guess. My just standard procedure in four bet pots as the pre-flop four better is to see bet a quarter with range. Um, that is not what Brad decides to do here. He goes with the check. That I guess is my first question. It's like how do you do you often check as a four bet pre-flop? Or as a four better pre-flop? Um, is this like specific to this uh, kind of I guess like not advantageous board texture for our four betting range? How'd you decide to check here? I think there are a lot of factors that drove my decision to check. And I think that like the perception of this board is that villain's going to have some sets. Like if they three bet fives and sixes, maybe they do, maybe they don't. They're going to three bet some seven, eight suited type hands too. So like what I expect villain's perception of this board to be is that I'm going to be C betting, like you said, a quarter with most of, the hands that I have in my range. And because of that, I, I think that like the check is often under defended when we do start with the check call. Um, you know, we could start with a check call with like Kings, Queens, some, and potentially some aces. But I also think that like the villain, you know, it just, it, it presents a good opportunity for the villain to start put, taking some inappropriate aggressive actions on a board where, they believe, you know, my check call range is likely is likely just pretty weak and constructed in a way that I don't have a ton of hands that can hold up to three streets of aggression. I would, I mean, like my, I guess my sort of issue with that is that like, I don't have a check call range on this, on this flop. I just lead everything. And then like, then my range starts kind of diverging on the turn to like having some checks and some check folds and some check raises and some barrels. So like I wouldn't even be concerned about like, oh, my, my check call range here is just too strong because I, I, I don't have any hands that check the swap to begin with. And then therefore I, I don't have any hands that check call. Um, what are some hands that you're like check folding on the swap, I guess would be my next question. Then. 
like would you just check fold ace queen off or something like that? i don't know like what like i'm probably not check folding very much to this yeah. tiny sizing i mean they bet less okay. less than a fourth but yeah, it's we not... didn't cover that by the way we checked and then the cutoff bets 110 dollars into 475 which right. is not surprising i think yeah it's not surprising i i think that like it's just this specific board texture you know it's not like um the way that I approach pretty much all hands that I play is like I have my preflop strategy and then we deal with the flop texture when it comes. And so like this board is going to be, it's a different board than lots of boards that that could come out. So I think that the reason why I decided to check was obviously I have a really good hand. Um, I pretty much smashed this board and I thought that if I started out by checking I could give villain opportunity to take some aggressive actions and then basically go out of their way to try to attack what they perceive to be a fairly capped range when they have um, conceivably a lot of strong hands in their range to go ahead and barrel with. Okay. Um... And, and two, like if you don't have a check range here, John, and lots of regs don't have a check range here, then the reality is that when I do check, it's going to be fairly misunderstood and they're going to be, just kind of go going based on the way that they feel or flying by the seat of their pants, trying to figure it out at the moment. And like when you're playing against very aggressive opponents that just are looking to exploit and are looking to take aggressive actions. If you try to force them to figure it out on the fly, a lot of times they, their default mode is to just start betting. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much just described like what I'd be really tempted to do as the person in the cutoff. Like if I saw this flop and saw you check i i would just hope like okay this board seems pretty good for the preflop caller and like i didn't expect to check here but it's probably not it's more likely to be weak than it is to be strong or like maybe that's that's what i would hope yeah and then just start blasting off with maybe a hand that even can't that can't call like a quarter on the flop like i mean i don't think there is a hand that can't call a quarter on the flop but like maybe they fold king jack with no backdoor flush draw some of the time when you bet a quarter and those hands just start blasting instead of the hand ending to you betting the flop and ending with hand ending with you betting the flop and them folding. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality. Like when you put people in foreign spots that they're not really studied in and that they don't really have uh, good heuristics that they've built. A lot of times we just default to our primal in instinct and, <laughs> you know, good players, good players who are aggressive primal instinct is like, okay, this board's good for me. Let's attack. Yeah. Um, so with all that said, uh, I, I start out by check calling the flop. I think check raising is not a thing that I want to do. I don't have really any hands that really want to start check raising. I mean, maybe aces, but I don't know what hands are in like my check raise bluff range. Uh, so anyway, once I started out by checking, I just felt like uh, calling is just very natural. And also it kind of goes hand in hand with the plan that I'm laying right, down. Right. We're like trying to do, like we're trying to make, the most of our money here by like inducing aggressive regs to bomb off into us and again that can't happen if we check raise the flop and get them to fold king jack of spades exactly exactly so i go ahead and call the turn is a queen of spades so now the board's full rainbow four five six queen there's 700 in the pot the villain has 1100 left i have villain covered uh i start out by checking the turn and the villain bets 160 into 695. 
160 is again about quarter pot. They've got 932 behind. What do you think about this spot, John? So I would probably just stick to the same plan that we had on the flop and um, either let them barrel or I don't know, maybe if they hit a queen, like even value bet like river themselves. So I'd probably just continue check calling my main concern with check calling versus someone that I perceive to be a pretty smart thinking rag is that what does my range look like when I check call the flop and check call the turn? Does it like, what sort of hands do I think that he will think that I have? I, I don't know. And like, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe it just looks like it's just like a weak enough range so that they, so that the cutoff like feels comfortable, like blasting, jamming the river. Um, but again, since I don't have like a check call range on the flop, I would be really kind of confused and concerned as to like what, the cutoff things I have when I check all two streets. I mean, it almost feels like it can't be nothing, right? I can't just check call two streets with like ace high that's going to fold the the river, can I? I? Maybe I can. I don't know. I think ace king is a totally reasonable call in the turn here. Like, yeah, yeah. Like you, that's it. I feel. I guess you need sixteen percent equity to continue. I'm looking at the pot odds right now. You need sixteen percent equity to continue. Ace ace king blocks. You know ace queen and king queen mm -hmm. so it's just going to be the best hand very frequently yeah. um so like i think ace king can flat the turn maybe jacks can flat the turn uh other than that i mean you know this is a four bet pot so like ranges are pretty pretty narrow to begin yeah. with here yeah. so yeah uh, what, what do you expect villain to do um once we check call the turn like, what's the expected action from Villain, do you think? I mean, I guess it depends a lot on the river, especially on this board. Like, if the river brings a four straight particularly, that might change Villain's action somewhat. Although, maybe not so much, considering that, like, we shouldn't have a lot of, like, the middling straighty cards in a four-bet pot. Um, I'm rooting for a four-liner, four to be honest. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, because... You think I, that'll like, definitely get the Villains to put in the rest of their money with their bluffs. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. if the board looks scarier, I think villains more incentivized to just, or they're going to feel more incentivized to just stick the money in. Yeah. Um, I would expect villains to, like, you know, if they have a hand like King Queen, to probably check back the river quite frequently with a hand that, like, turn top pair, or, like, maybe a hand like Jacks through eights that's, like, going for, like, really small protection slash value on the flop and turn, which I guess would be my preferred sizes with those sorts of hands are just going to check back the river quite frequently. And that point's kind of moot though, because they're not calling a jam on the turn anyway. So yeah, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, uh, we're not, we're not like missing value from, from those hands, but yeah, like the top pair hands, I expect to some King queen or queen Jack. I expect them to check back the river. I mean the bluff, the bluff portion of the range more importantly is what I'm asking about. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I tend not to slow down with my bluffs once I start, like start on this path, especially if, if again, like this four, five, six queen board, like I, I would just go crazy in, in perceiving that this is just such a good flop for me and such a terrible flop for the preflop or better, especially once I check the flop. So yeah, I, I would probably just keep going ham with my bluffs as the cutoff. Yeah. It's like those little cars that you used to play with growing up, you know, that you put on the ground and then you pull them back and it like builds up energy, then you let yeah. it go and it just flies forward. It's like okay. the flop and the turn sizing here is like they're just inching back and building up energy <laughs> for the river explosion. I mean, that's, that's sort of like how it feels to me. 
Yeah. Even the scything, right? It's like it's set up perfectly for the river for the river gem. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So I do call the turn. Um, the river pairs the queen, which now if they have king queen, well, guess what? They are going for value at this point. <laughs> There's no checking back the king queen now. I go ahead and check, and villain goes all in. Uh, this is the snappiest of all snap calls that you can make here. No real thought on folding ever. So we call and the $2,800 pot ships to us. And then the villain turns over ace, 10 of clubs. So they basically went boom, boom, boom with uh, pretty much a a zero equity type hand. Yeah. Wow. That, I mean, maybe they call the flop anyways, but the, the check, check line just worked to perfection against this guy. Like I said, you know, if you're unfamiliar and you're going to revert back to your primitive state of like, okay, I'm just going to start putting money in the pot and try to try to force villain to make some kind of overfold. So yeah, it's, uh, I think this was an interesting hand. It it tended to work out or it worked out very well. Um, got me up to only losing 500 in that poker coaching stream, which was nice. Um, <laughs> oh, this hand happened on stream. That's pretty cool. That's like a, I don't know. I don't know if that's worth $500, but you know, having a bunch of people <laughs> make this really sick play worth something, right? Well, I mean, or I was stuck. Some- I was stuck like 3,500. So like actually winning a pot to get me stuck only minus 500 felt pretty nice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to head to break and then we're going to break down a four bet pot that john played that um little bit fewer passive actions in that one uh stick around after the break the decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy too tight and they know what you have too loose and you're easy to run over Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I loved the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about boot camp blew you away? Like it started off slow. Like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. 
Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience? The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Welcome back from the break to this episode of Tactical Tuesday. Four bet pots edition. Now John is going to be playing some five ten no limit in the streets of ignition. John, do you want to break down the preflop action for the listener? Yep. So this hand starts with me in middle position. I have king nine suited, king nine of clubs. Um, I open to uh, twenty two dollars and fifty cents. Um, the reg and the small blinds. Three bets to $105, the big blind folds. I guess just to get all the details at the beginning of the hand, the small blend and I are 150 big blind effective to start the hand. So really similar stack depth to um, Brad's hand. I four bet uh, the king nine suited to $235. I don't think this is like, this is sort of like Brad's four bet with eight, seven of spades. I don't think this is by any means like, mandatory or maybe not even standard um so i think it's fine i mean it's a natural hand to four bet with here like you know you're you're in position and so you need to have some lower equity type hands in your in position four betting range and king nine suited it doesn't block like the queen jack or 10 or the ace which makes a lot of sense to chunk it into your your four bet your lower equity four bet range so like i think that's it's a pretty reasonable selection here it's not like again if we face a five bet whatever we just fold and no big deal mm-hmm. yeah and this is a spot where i guess i wouldn't be like shocked to face a five bet given that the uh the pre-plot three better is out of position and so maybe they just you know have more five bets with like ace king offsuit out of position whereas they may they might not five bet those when they're in position so um anyways i make it 235 the small blind calls we see a flop of queen five deuce rainbow and small blind checks uh, I go ahead and see bet one quarter pot, um, which is again what I said I'd be doing with most of my range and or all of my range in uh, four bet pots in the last hand where Brad chose not to see bet the seven eight suited. I guess we can start here and um, I'll ask you like, would you be see betting a quarter pot with this hand? I'm going to assume yes. 
Um, I don't think so. Whoa, okay. So now, now that uh, I'm looking at this hand and thinking about it, villain's going to have more Queen X in their range than we are. Like, just from a range construction standpoint. Like, villain's going to have ace-queen and queen-jack and king-queen, and we're not four-betting any of those pre. So, like, basically we have aces and kings, but we don't have ace-queen. So I think that, like, villain's going to have more queen-x to defend with here. And because of that, yeah, I just would rather check back and then kind of go from there on the turn. Interesting. So, like, you'd be like, you, this would this happen to you quite frequently where you'd, like, check back this flop, the small blind bets the turn, and, and you just fold? So it just depends on the situation. So, like, I'm going to have some floats. Like, I'm, I'm going to float the turn bet okay. um, with some regularity. And I'm would probably be checking back range. So I'm checking back aces and kings. Uh, I see. Uh, so uh, like I, I am going to defend my, my check back range and basically just put everything in my flop check back range. Oh, okay. Um, I guess like a <laughs> big thing that I'm learning today is that you don't have to bet range in four bet pots. Uh, well, the SPR is like, you know, there's 480 in the pot. Villain's got 1300. So the SPR is like 2.5. We can get it in like by checking back the flop, like at any point on the turn of the river. And yeah, like uh, I just think that this queen high board specifically, it's not, I don't know that it's necessarily just four bet pots, but it's like the, the flop textures that we've seen today, mm-hmm. I think just, you know, they're, they're their own little universe and they all need to be played a little bit differently. And I think in this specific situation, if we really look at range construction, I think you would see that like villains going to have a lot more queen X than we are. And we're not going to have like, neither of us have like fives and deuces. So we don't have to really even think about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess I should be treating orbit pots like slightly more differently based on flop texture than I am currently. Yeah. Flop, te- flop texture matters. <laughs> matters <laughs> flop, a lot. Yeah, flop texture is ca- kind of important in poker. I think Big part of the game. <laughs> um, uh, so anyways, I, I see about a quarter, uh, 119 into 480, the uh, small blind calls. Um, there's now $718 in the pot. The turn is the king of hearts. So the board is now queen, five, deuce, king, rainbow. Uh, small blind has $1,200 in a stack. He's the effective stack. He checks. I guess I'll just go ahead and say what I did. I, I bet a third pot on the turn. Um, this is, I, I'm way more, I live like this felt questionable like even in the moment like is this a is this a hand that i should be checking back should i be betting small here and trying to get called by like hands like ace queen and queen jack which i assume can't fold versus this size yeah what do you think here like do you have a strong opinion as to whether you should be betting at all or if you're betting this is this the right size i'm mixed i have mixed opinions i think like the problem is that I don't know that our aces or our ace king bets a turn or if it checks back. And that's sort of like what what are the best hands that you're betting the turn with? Like what is your turn value betting range look like? Definitely pocket kings. Yeah, like you said, like I mean, I I'm not betting the turn with ace. Well, I don't even have ace queen. Um I yeah, you're right. I'm probably not betting the turn with aces. And yeah, it's tough. I, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure like what I would be doing with like Ace King and Aces. To be honest, like I don't. I think it's possible that I just check both back, um, thinking that it's hard. I mean, I'm never getting three streaks from worse hands. Uh, 
with aces and ace king and try to get my value on the river, I guess, or like induce some sort of bluff on the river that I can pretty happily call. Um, well, well, the beauty maybe, of being... Maybe I have no value bets on this turn except for kings, pocket kings. I think the beauty of checking back the turn is that, you know, you get more data points in which to make great decisions on the river. So, mm-hmm. you know, facing like turn check, river check, you force villain to construct a river a turn a river betting and checking range and i think that when you force villain to construct a river checking and a betting range they're likely to make some mistakes or there's a possibility that they make mistakes whether it be you know not protecting their checking range enough or whether it be choosing uh, a sizing that kind of gives away the strength of their hand in in, e- in either case i think that like aces does well by checking and then kind of seeing what develops on the river, whether villain, um, you know, jams, whether they check, whether they choose a very small sizing on the river. I think that like versus a very small sizing on the river, if you have aces, you could start thinking about jamming, but mm, yeah, it's probably a little thin. Uh, I, would, I would rather jam with ace king in that, that way we at least block like some king queen suited um, facing the small bet. But uh, yeah, like really it's, it, this is um you're just choosing to bet everything on the flop in the turn basically like i i think you would be betting a, most all your bluffs and almost none of your value so you're just likely way over bluffing the turn here hmm. yeah that's probably true i yeah i mean I, I can't imagine not betting a bluff on the king of hearts turn um, <laughs> <laughs> um so <laughs> with that said i mean i do think that like this small bet like I think it's going to perform quite well because I don't think villain's going to fold the ace queen or queen jack, the queen X type hands, but then the plan ought to be to, you know, check back the river, like right. go for this one street of value um, on a card that villain's going to perceive that you're over bluffing and that villains expects you to, to bet. And likely you've got a lot of um, lower equity type hands where, you know, calling ace queen here is just like the no brainer of no brainers. Yep, and that was my plan was to do a lot of checking back on uh, on rivers. Um, so I bet two twenty eight and seven eighteen. Uh, the small blind calls. The river is the ace of diamonds, so the board is now queen five deuce king ace no flush draw. Um, one thousand one hundred seventy four dollars in the middle. The small blind has exactly a thousand dollars behind. Small blind checks, um, and then once this ace hits the river, I, I like all my plans for like checking back the river just like went to, sh- I just started panicking. I was like, Oh my God, I don't beat anything anymore. Like, do I, should I jam King nine to like try to get folds from better hands Do better hands ever fold? Uh, like, yeah. So I, I kind of like went into full panic mode here and like used my entire time and like almost all of my time bank debating whether this hand should be a jam on the river or not. Yeah. Let's go back to hand number one, right? Like when you encounter a situation that, is a little unexpected that you're not really prepared for. You revert back to primitive state of, Oh my God, I don't know what to do on this card. Let's just put all the money in because that's like what I, what I tend to want to do. And, and I think if you really think about it, you don't have a ton of value that goes bet, bet, bet. Like you don't have all the combos of aces and you don't have all the combos of ace King. And you don't have ace queen. So like really when you jam here, you're kind of repping like, king queen off if you choose to four bet that pre-flop in position uh even i think king queen off is pretty thin to jam the river um 
ace queen you don't have kings kings and queens like those are the two hands like so you got six six combos of value here spoiler um, alert i don't four bet queens either pre-flop uh, <laughs> 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 so three combos of value plus you know we'll give you like two combos for some times when you bet ace king and sometimes when you bet aces so like well you got five combos of value here so i, I certainly don't think that like turning a king into a bluff here is great because <laughs> you're just bluffing um, like uh, an insane human being if you just start, start turning your pairs into bluffs. What am I bluffing, man? Well, it, it depends. It, it all hinges on like whether you turn king nine into a bluff or not. Right, but if like turning pairs into bluffs is just like way over bluffing. What, what, I mean, do you see like a natural bluff here? Like, a, okay, like this is, you know, this is where, this is an obvious one that you you would, jam the river with as a bluff you would have to like no i don't see many natural bluffs at all like i think you would have to like ace three and ace four suited where you river and ace but i think those hands are just happy to check back yeah. you know you would have to just have like you basically have to see bet range with some like seven eight suited or eight nine suited and then see the king on the turn and feel like you need to pull the trigger again and then see the ace on the river and feel like you need to pull the trigger again. Like, so it would have to be some like hand that has no real connectivity to the board. Some random suited connector. Okay. Yeah. There's some random suited connector, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, if you have King Jack and King 10, maybe those hands are pretty good too. I mean, like, I don't know. I like, does he ever have Jack 10? In this? I don't know. I don't think so. Like, like, does walking the jack of the time matter that much? I, I would say no. I'm just saying hands that you might feel compelled to turn into a bluff on the river. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know. Like random blockers, <laughs> Well, <laughs> you're King X, like, right? Like, you're, you're King X, you feel somewhat compelled to to turn it into a bluff on the river. Um, yeah, blocking his king-queens and, like, some ace-king. Like, I don't know, it seems like a reasonable, like, blocks strongest part of his... And remember, like you got five value combos. So like villain's gonna be getting two to one. So you don't need to find <laughs> many bluff combos here uh, yeah. to over bluff. You'll find like three and you're over bluffing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, anyways, for the reveal, I used like my entire time bank and then kind of just like I'm too scared and thought that like I I don't know if like the two pairs that I'm trying to fold out are ever fold. Uh and I uh, check the river and ended up losing to ace king of spades from the small blind, which um, not that I think he played it just fine. Yeah, I, I I think he played it very well, and I think that like it doesn't matter what you do here, <laughs> other than make a nine on the river. Yeah, right. you're this is just bad news bears. Like, yeah. and I, and I think that like villain having ace king here is pretty nice. Um, especially with the, like the overcard on the turn, because if you are out there with like seven, eight or eight, nine of spades or something, you're it's fairly likely, or even like an ace Jack or ace 10 type hand that you four bet with pre with the King on the turn, you're probably betting it. And then you're probably jamming rivers and they just have a very easy call down. <laughs> yeah. Like I be, I become the dude with ace 10 in your hand, essentially. Exactly. <laughs> on, on like non ace rivers when you have uh, those type of hands. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the the moral of the story is like really put some deep thought into how you're building out your strategies 
on various different flop textures and try to figure out, you know, try to try to construct in ways that um, you don't have any obvious vulnerabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Like getting to the river with like no bluffs. And- <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. no bluffs or all bluffs. I mean, either yeah, one, or that's all pretty, yeah, yeah. yeah, pretty, pretty big strategic vulnerabilities there. Yeah. Um, yep. So uh, this is going to end this week's episode of tactical Tuesday. Thank you for listening along. Go ahead, click su- subscribe on Apple podcasts or Spotify. And this is coach Brad and John, John, Say your farewells. See you guys next week. See you all next week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.